you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast. The alternative rock of football podcasts. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. I'm Greg Rosenthal in a virtual room filled with a hero. Mark Sessler is with me on a show unlike any other, Mark. We've never done a mini post Christmas recap. I hope your Christmas was great. Consider this like the Heat and Light podcast, uh, except it's like the Cold and Dark podcast. Maybe. Yeah, it's very. There's a very similar <laughs> vibe to that show, um, and what we're about to uh, bring to the listener right now. I hope you had a good Christmas too. We texted a little bit late at night. Um, there was nonstop football starting. <laughs> Here on the West Coast at 10 a.m. until deep into the <laughs> evening. And I think that's how the NFL wants it. It was a lot of football. It's not going to be like that every year. It is rare that I guess uh, Christmas will fall on a Sunday. I did go back. I noticed la last time it was on a Sunday, it was two games, though. So they did push it uh, a little farther. In seven years, I'm looking forward to the podcast when uh, there's seven games on Christmas Sunday. <laughs> uh, it is just impending. Yeah, Justin Graver, uh, also with us. Dan uh, is sitting this one out, and uh, we'll be back with Dan on uh, our regularly scheduled Tuesday show. I hope everyone out there had a great Christmas, uh, including you, Justin. And uh, let's get to the first game. Let's start in the AFC, where the, the biggest games were really played. I think the best game that we haven't covered, we have Christmas Eve to cover, and the three Christmas games, the best of those games was played in Miami. Second down and six now for Miami of the 31-yard line of the Dolphins. Snap to him, looking right. Heaves it right side. Intercepted! Intercepted by Rasul Douglas. And there is your dagger! The Packers defense coming through in a big spot out of nowhere. 26-20. to 20. That was Tua Tungavailoa's third interception of the fourth quarter alone. My God, what a meltdown after the Dolphins raced out to a 20-10 lead, had a chance to go up even bigger before halftime, and then it all fell apart in the second half mark. The Packers are alive in the playoff race, and the Dolphins let you down because I know you wanted the Dolphins to win this game, right? You know what I want to see was just the Dolphins kind of um, prove that the last, the troubles they encountered over the last, you know, three three plus weeks outside of the Buffalo showing were atypical of them, that they aren't that mm. team, that they had, that they had a chance to, you know, as a young, in a young system, first year head coach, come back and show they were the team from the early part of the season. I mean, instead, it keeps Green Bay completely alive. And I think this is a very different Packers team then I feel like I was watching, you know, weeks ago. They've kind of changed themselves, especially on defense. But um, the narrative around Tua, I, I think it's really fair just to look at his body of work over the last, you know, three, four games and say, ah, uh, there are a lot of questions about Tua. Like, he was in the perfect environment, the perfect scheme, 
And, you know, like they didn't, the Packers didn't use a ton of man-to-man coverage the same way that we saw early on with the the Niners game and then against the Chargers. It was a lot of zone, and they still figured him out. He seemed sort of lost to me. I thought all three of his picks were really on him. It wasn't one of these situations where if you watch it, it's bouncing off of two people. He admitted each of them. He went through one one by one each of the picks and just sort of said, the last one was a communication issue, but they were on Tua, and it, and it sabotaged the Dolphins, who really had no business losing this game with all the big plays they got early on. Right. Like you mentioned, it, the, the Packers' defense in the first half of the game was the Packers' defense we saw a year. They had 270 yards at halftime, the Dolphins. I thought they could have had about 35 points at halftime, and Tua was playing great. I mean, he was throwing the ball with anticipation, and it was right on the money. You had the 80-yarder to Jalen Waddell. Uh, at one point, Tua had completed five passes for 192 yards, which is just wild. And they were up 20-10, to 10, and the defense for the Packers looked like they weren't going to get a stop. And Jerron Reed caused a fumble right before halftime. It was 20-10, to 10, and the Dolphins were theoretically driving uh, to go ahead, maybe 27 to 10. At that point in the game, the only way the Dolphins had stopped was penalties and, like, mistakes. Tua actually fritzed out and fumbled the ball on the third down early in the game. That was a little canary in the coal mine for what was going to come because there was a couple times in the game he just did not show much poise, but they recovered that fumble. They kicked a field goal on that drive, uh, and the Packers seemed like they had no answer. They forced the fumble there. They get a field goal before halftime. It's only seven points, and then the second half defensively was totally opposite. This is a majorly concerning game for Tua. We'll get to Green Bay quickly. We're not going to like make this an hour-long show, Mark. I know you don't want to. I, mean, I do think the one thing about Green Bay that that felt to me like they... Aaron Rodgers, for all the little items that I find annoying about him at times, um, he seems locked in on the fact that like their playoff chances are real right now. He mentioned it over and over. Everything went right on Saturday for Green Bay. And I thought they approached this game with a kind of win or die situation. They went for five fourth downs. Um, I think they converted three of them. They had that bizarre fake punt from their own 20, which um, was a botched job. But to their credit, the defense from their own 20 allowed just a field goal to Miami. That could have been like a backbreaking kind of situational problem for Green Bay right there. I thought they were very aggressive. Aaron Rodgers didn't look perfect to me. Um, he made just enough throws. I think you lose. we got to see what goes on with Christian Watson because it's a hip injury. And, you know, I, that to me, losing him is a major issue for Green Bay. If he goes out, he's been a star for them. Yeah, it was weird because they, they actually weren't unbelievable offensively. Off all those turnovers, four turnovers, they scored nine points. So they didn't get a touchdown off the turnovers. And then they had the kickoff return to start the game which returned the ball to about the 10-yard line, Keyshawn Nixon, who also got hurt. So two explosive players for the for the Packers, Watson and Nixon, got hurt, and they only got three points off of that. So Rodgers was up and down, and I thought it was telling. He had told the announcers, like, I'm glad I can really play quarterback this week. I hated the way the Rams played us. And what that meant was, like, Rodgers was going to just hold the ball forever, try to make a play make some hero ball plays and he hit a he hit a bunch of them and he missed a bunch of them too he did not play well in the first half but he got it done and the the two uh the two interceptions you mentioned how he went through it one by one okay the third one to me was by far the most concerning because at that point he had already been picked off twice in a row to start 
the fourth quarter. First one was just like a bad throw where he tried to force it in there between four guys and it would have had to been perfect. And it was just a bad decision and a bad throw. The next one, Raheem Mostert and him weren't on the same page. That's that one's hard to really know what happened there, but, uh, it, it, another play where it seemed like Tua predetermined what he was going to do. And that was what happened on that last play. Some smarter people than me pointed out, Tua, you know, has the open receiver underneath here. The The coverage dictated. He absolutely had to throw it to the underneath receiver. It would have been a first down. And it was like he was already in his own head and was going to throw the deeper throw. And the Packers read it and picked it off. And uh, I, give, I give them credit for making a, a bunch of plays. But Tua... Oh, man, to have that sort of confidence issues coming into the home stretch. Mike McDaniel was asked about it after the game, and I thought what he said was pretty telling. It's a challenge, but it's also something that, um, you know, every quarterback really goes through. It's a, you know, it's kind of one of those, uh, you know, necessary things that you have to, that you have to really figure out how you, you don't let mistakes snowball um and that's one of the reasons you know that the approach and and the, and the way we've gone about things has been so intentional in that regard because you can't you can't let past influence the present um mm. and i i think that you know there, there could be something some portions of that that have to that have to do with you know him kind of snowballing um in his own mind um but he's such a strong individual that you know the good news is that i'm very confident that he'll he'll be able to get through that um it's just that this team um needs him it's a chunky soundbite there I, you know sometimes i'm like daniel feels like you're driving across the country with someone and he's riding shotgun and you realize he just talked for six straight minutes and you're just focused on the road. But um, I, I, think <laughs> I, I am that person, though. But that that uh, that sound bite was concerning, though. Like, I think he was kind of saying, like, yeah, I am a little concerned. That was a question about Tua's confidence yeah. specifically. Well, I mean, remember, you know, Tua, first of all, on the on the monster throw, he said that he might have called. He was wondering if he called the wrong play. Uh, which is, you know, that's a concerning thing in December. I don't know for a quarterback if that just stuff happens here and there. I would imagine it does and you work your way out of it. But this is a guy that, like, that story came out midseason where he was asking himself a year ago, do I suck at this? Like, I mean, I think there is um, maybe not a steel confidence there with him. And secondly, you look at this offense and the way he's been helped by Tyreek Hill and Jalen Wild, just like point of the catch stuff where it's like if he had two pedestrian wideouts, um, you're getting the two up from other years. And so I do think his game's been elevated by that and teams have figured him out to some degree. I think there's a confidence thing going on. And like Mike McDaniel sounds a little down there. They've got the Patriots on the road and then they've got the Jets who have Mike White back in the finale. So their, their path to the playoffs, which seemed assured, is in hot water right now. Right. They've lost four straight. They're still in good position. You win those two games, you get in. Even if you split those games, you, you have a, a decent chance, but there's a whole uh, mess of things going on. And the fact that the broadcast talks so much about, like, he had to rebuild to his confidence. Like, I love the honesty, and I love, like, these guys being open and vulnerable, but sometimes you, you almost don't want... You want your quarterback to have this blind confidence. And Tua was also, you know, quoted earlier this year in some reports that, like, after that concussion, like, he had talked to his family about 
his future as a as a pro um and it's just it's a lot everything feels like on the precipice for this team playoffs future of this team we don't need to get into all that now quickly on the the packers uh they're at seven and eight everything that needed to happen for them this weekend did happen the lions lost uh the seahawks lost the commanders lost even the Giants, who in theory could, uh, I guess, be in, in that mix of falling out of the playoffs, lost. The Packers have a good chance to make it to the playoffs if they win their final two games, which will not be easy, against Minnesota and Detroit. There's a real chance, Mark, here. Detroit-Green Bay is the final game of the year on Sunday night football, although about four things need to happen for that to happen, and that would include uh, the, the Commanders and the Seahawks losing in Week 17. That would set up a win-and-in like playoff game between the Lions and the Packers. You know, I, I'm willing to accept at this point that the Green Bay Packers are, are probably going to the playoffs and some poor Stop. division winning team. Well, I guess it would probably be, I don't know, it's going to be the, some poor division winning team is going to have to deal with Aaron Rodgers, um, who's becoming increasingly... Minnesota or San Francisco. I know. I just think that's sort, oh, of a, my God. sort of a hot mess for whoever has to confront Green Bay in January out of nowhere. Uh, we'll talk about it during the week. I'm not totally buying that they're going to pull this off, but I got to admit, I think they make it more interesting. So I enjoyed this result, if only because it makes the AFC rest race messier and the NFC race messier. Let's go to the other AFC game. Uh, oh, someone locked up the Dolphins. Gravedigger, how was your Christmas? It was great. We had a really nice Christmas. <laughs> Jessica and I with some family FaceTime calls, but I did lock up the dolphins. So they kind of ruined my Christmas a little bit in the morning, but enough time uh, to get over it later in the day. I don't get did, the did sense Did you even that... watch this game, Grave? <laughs> <laughs> I watched the last bit of, I saw two his last interception. I, because... I love, I love Graver. He's a football guy. I don't get the sense that um, losing this locker, that the Christmas day results, uh, no. We're getting him too worked up. And that's to your credit, Justin. That's a compliment. You're also so far removed from the top <laughs> slot that the drama around you winning or losing on a weekly basis has been um, diminished. Yes, I'm five games back of Greg now. I'm in last. Greg's Even though I lost this week. So you didn't lose any ground. You're still yeah. in it. Eight to, eight to play. Uh, you're not in it at all. Uh, you know who is in it? Just barely. The Pittsburgh Steelers. Let's get to their game. Shotgun snap. Four-man rush. Fires for the end zone. Touchdown. George Jenkins. And the Steelers forge ahead with just 46 seconds left. Pick it to Pickens. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Pick it to Pickens. Pick it to Pickens. That was WDVE. Bill Hargrove on the call, along with Craig Wolfley. I don't think I've ever read the, the call letters before. This is, you know, new times here, <laughs> 10 years in. Uh, I totally forgot on the Dolphins game, too. George Pickens capped a stirring finish on the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception in the week that we lost Franco Harris. Kenny Pickett had a drive that he's going to always be remembered for. I kind of hope he has a great career with the Steelers just so that we can look back, Mark, on this one as like the moment it all took off and they knew that Pickett was their guy. Yeah, it's his second, fourth quarter comeback of his rookie season. And 
I mean, this was, I mean, we forget because it seems like a million years ago, but that Saturday cluster of games that was so impacted by weather, that was absolutely true in this one too, I thought. It was just absolutely frigid out there. And both offenses were pretty much asleep at the wheel for large chunks of time. So to see Pickett to go do that at the end um, was commendable. I think that if you're, the way that they got to that 13 to 10 result was a Raiders offense that the things that have worked for them completely dried up. I mean, you have Devontae Adams, uh, 15 yards on the day. Josh Jacobs held to 44. It's the first time he had 100, under 100 total yards from scrimmage in seven weeks. That's sort of been the, the key to their offense in general. And you have Derek Carr completely melting down um, when it mattered most. He was one for nine with 34 yards and an interception of passes of 10-plus air yards. So they had really very little vertical attack to speak of. Um, and the Raiders, which I thought were a fraudulent team, although they were getting a little spicy, um, in a big spot against the Steelers team, they really should have viewed themselves as a better than Pittsburgh in general. Um, I don't know if they are. I think the Steelers are going to end up with a winning record. They're going to do it. They're going to beat Baltimore and Cleveland. And this whole Tomlin first losing record business <laughs> is not going to happen. It would be funny if they went 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one again, like they get a tie in one of these yeah. two games and do that back-to-back years. The Steelers are not out of the playoff mix yet at 7-8, and eight, but unlike a lot of AFC teams that are 7-8, and eight, uh, the Patriots, for instance, the Steelers are buried in tiebreakers. They're still only 11th in the conference. Their percentage, according to... Um, to 538 to make the playoffs only went up from 1% entering the week to 3% coming out of the week. And it's because they're two and seven or now they're three and seven in the conference and they basically lose every single tiebreaker there is. And uh, if the Dolphins or Chargers, uh, if the Dolphins win another game, basically they're out or or they each win one more game. So they still uh, almost certainly aren't going to make the playoffs. But I think you can remember this game if you're a Steelers fan in the end of this season, it's something encouraging. Cam Hayward was awesome. You mentioned the defense was dominant. The Raiders' last nine drives after they had the touchdown drive to start the game, they had a total of seven first downs and Carr threw three interceptions. In the second half of this game, Mark, the Raiders had 50 yards and three first downs. So you're right. Like, at, even though Pickett got his chance to do it and he did make good, it really was a good drive and he played a good fourth quarter. They had three points entering the fourth quarter and they scored 10 in the fourth quarter and the weather was absolutely a huge factor. It still is something that Pickett in the big moments made some big throws. He had one on the sideline. The The touchdown was a rip, certainly. He made good decisions and cards didn't man that last interception like the guys open and you mentioned Jared Goff struggling in the cold the other day Derek Carr's numbers in weather under 40 degrees is like is outrageously bad and uh, this was the story of the Raiders season and these late season results I think have impact on what's going to happen moving forward and I just don't think the Raiders are going to have Derek Carr next year I completely agree with you. I think this is the kind of thing where, and if you go listen, you could you could look find this on Twitter pretty easily. Josh Jacobs, what he had to say about the, essentially the entire offense, um, the plan, what's told to them before the games, and what the results are, um, seems so dejected and down. I, I, I doubt that Josh Jacobs is back. I don't think hmm. Derek Carr is back. Well, I'm saying you know they could offer him money and no one else does, and maybe maybe he changes. Maybe his a team. tag for him. That sure, wouldn't be that could crazy, be. Yeah. But I just I, I listened to him speak, and he just seemed. Um, and of course, you know, it came after a loss, but extremely dejected. And I'm with you. I don't know how you can really roll out the concept of Josh McDaniels 
and Derek Carr next season when it's as easy to get out of his deal as it is, depending on what comes their way. Like if it's a Tom Brady situation, check you later, Derek Carr. But if there's nothing available, then they run it back perhaps. Yeah, they could probably get a a good pick for Carr, I think. But I, I do think this has probably been Carr's worst season since the first season after his broken leg where he, he started, he kind of struggled when he first came back. And then since then it had been a slow build and he's been, he's been struggling. And um, I, I loved for the Steelers to all come to the stadium wearing the 32 Jersey and they have the emotional halftime celebration. It just felt like the most Steelers thing ever. This is why you knew. You knew, Mark, that like the Steel. You've watched enough Steelers over the years that the Steelers, even though this is a weird Steelers season, we're going to create something magical. And on, like I said, on the 50th anniversary of that game, they scored 10 points in the fourth quarter to to win 13-10. Um, 50 years ago, they scored 10 points in the fourth quarter to win 13 to seven, like on a day with absolutely no offense. You locked it up. That was smart of you. I felt it was one of the rare times where like I switched my lock and I just felt like, wait a minute, this is a home run because there's so much weight on this franchise and not a negative weight, just a pat, like a total absolute passion to go win this game after what happened with Franco Harris. And I was gutting it out. I mean, it was just, you know, it, it was, it was tight, but somehow you just believe in Tomlin and the Steelers in situations like this. And again, I think they beat Baltimore who is a compromised team right now, and they will beat Cleveland, and they'll mm. end up 9-8, and eight, and we'll see what happens from there. This is an absolute Steelers-esque end of the season. Absolutely, and, and they're young guys stepping up. Like Najee Harris having the big game. He had 105 yards from scrimmage, was the key guy. Pickens, Fryermuth ended up having a game. Uh, they have to feel about as good uh, ending the season as any team that there really has no shot to make the playoffs just because of their young players. And and uh, anyone that jumped in with the Rainmaker by this weekend is, by the way, this weekend, is feeling good too. <laughs> We're raining down money on Christmas Eve. It was close. Some might say, why didn't I lock up the Steelers if I was going to you know, go Rainmaker with a two-and-a-half-point favorite? But you know what? They won by three. So uh, it rained just enough. You're a, in your own way, you're a very much a Santa-esque figure to the people that followed your advice on this one. Well, I know Dan would have gotten on me eventually for uh, a, a losing streak here. So I think the Rainmaker, I had lost track of what my record is. It's like six and three, something like that for this we inflate season. Inflate it because we don't know either. So just Yeah, well, nobody knows. Uh, let's take a quick break and we'll get to the other two games. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, we're back. Let's head out to State Farm Stadium in Phoenix. One yard field goal. The kick airborne by Suckup. Is it good? It's good. It's 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 good. And the Bucks beat the Arizona Cardinals in overtime. Buccaneers beat Arizona in OT. Tom Brady engineers an overtime drive that gets in the range of Ryan Suckup, who just made his fourth field goal of the game. And the Buccaneers win 19 to 16. How about the Buccaneers? <laughs> oh, Gene Deckerhoff. Even Gene didn't give like a full-throated this is a miracle victory on Christmas. He knew this was a, a weird game. 
a 19 to 16 overtime victory for the Bucks. That's that was on WFUS. Uh, Dave Moore also involved, and uh, they're making people work extra on Christmas. Mark, they're playing extra football. Tarico's there. Collinsworth is there. And the Bucks are just replaying the same game that they play all season, making a 10-point comeback in the fourth quarter to narrowly beat one of the worst teams in the league. They've done this exactly three times now, but uh, get the victory. Yeah, I don't know if it's the plan, but they are following <laughs> the blueprint um, over and over. And it was like Tom Brady... You know, a turnover machine completely asleep at the wheel with an offense that, you know, lost another Josh Wells. They lost another tackle. He was already in there for Donovan Smith. So they are a compromise. I think that affected what they even thought they could do on offense. It turned into like just a get rid of the ball kind of game for Brady. Um, totally unproductive until that overtime drive. I think he hit six, six straight throws and you get another one of these um, sort of Brady-esque patented last minute victories. I do feel like this season and maybe, you know, it's just a, a feeling, but so many bad games have gone into overtime not good games going into overtime where that you want that but like I, I texted you like late in the night you and Dan and, and Gravedigger thinking are you seriously taking this into more time this game <laughs> which I actually watched I might have been one of the 12 Americans that watched this game and uh, <laughs> it was an unrewarding uh, stew late in the evening uh, I, I have to admit I did catch up on this game after the fact and yeah, it was a lot of bad football. That's what Tom Brady said earlier in the year when he watches football around the league, a lot of bad ball. And most of this weekend was about the weather. And there have been a lot of fun, good teams, I think not in the primetime games, but we keep getting these teams like the Bucks and the Cardinals as repeat visitors. And we've just seen this Bucks game before and it's kind of like they keep doing the same thing they have these sequels to like what was not a great movie in the first place which was bucks rams i think that's really where this started where they were absolutely terrible and then at the very end they go hurry up and brady wins the game after getting like 17 chances to win it and now they're having like the sequels and they're not like they're getting a little worse each time there was the saints one that was that was a, a crazy comeback, two touchdowns at the very end. And then this one where it was against, I believe, uh, the worst team in the league. And it just makes you wonder, why do they have to wait till the very end to go hurry up? They're such a better team when they go hurry up. Brady had his best two throws of the day in overtime that you mentioned. Uh, two really nice throws, one to Gage and one to Mike Evans, both outside throws. It, But the rest of the game like he was off target. He missed throws. They were out of sync on third and short. At one point, they tried to run the ball three straight times on second and one and could not get a yard. And that's like what this season has felt like is just like looking at Todd Bowles being like on the sideline, dumbfounded, being like, man, I can't believe we can't get a yard. What's going on? But they never can get a yard. Yeah, it's like, uh, I mean, if these are sequels, they're not exactly pack them in at the mall um, fair, but it does kind of leave me a bit mystified with this whole journey with the Bucks because the whole calling card coming in, the reason that it would be good to get Bruce Arians out of the mix, um, and again, I, I think we've said it all year, I think there's, a, there's something missing without Bruce Arians playing his old role, but it was meant to be a positive because Tom Brady and Byron Leftwich could mind meld um, on a micro level during games and as, the, as you know, forming the game plan, and they look more lost than ever, and they, they haven't adjusted the way out of it. Like Even from drive to drive, it seems like all they're able to do is go out and process things the same way and produce the same sort of milk toast results. It's like, 
is where's Brady in this? Like, where's Leftwich in this? And why are they still in these issues um, post Christmas? I find it really strange for that kind of quarterback after what we know about Brady. Well, because I think it's it's everyone. It's such a team sport. I mean, Mike Evans had one catch for five yards until the very end of this game on he had six targets he ends up making a catch or two but it's like they have a million different problems and Brady's one of them like the two intercept he's not used to throwing interceptions and he threw two in this game both were on him one he just kind of threw up right because he was about to get hit and then the other one he was like really late on an open receiver and that got picked off by Marco Wilson and that was like totally on Brady and we sound so negative they did win the game they set up uh, you know, a winning in scenario for themselves next week against the Panthers. The the Bucks clinched the NFC South with with a win next week. Uh, but if they lose that game, the Panthers have control going into Week 18. And my feeling watching this, Mark, was eh, I I have I have given up. I'm sure everyone else has too in terms of them like having the light switch on. But I, I kind of feel like they're a little bit like the Patriots and that they just are asking to be put out of their misery. And, you know, spoiler alert, I'm picking the Panthers this week. I, I don't know if the Panthers can close it out and win two straight because the Bucks will still have a chance to win the division even if they lose in Week 17, if the Bucks, if the Panthers then blow it in Week 18 and the Bucks win, they're all division games. So, like the Panthers do not clinch the division by winning this next game. But this feels like a team that's not having fun and and needs to be put out of their misery quickly. I'm just gonna throw to a Tom Brady sound because I think I think the way he sounded after the game uh, sums up what I'm talking sure. about. Sure, defense really stepped up. This was a, a great way to uh, you know down 10 in the fourth quarter on the road. It's great to find a way to win. What's going on here? Is he okay? I don't know. He he, I, li- I listened to this. He sounded so old. He does not sound enthused. I will note that the Panthers, um, when they played the Bucks, um, the first time, more, more towards the middle of the season, did run for 173 yards. I think this Panthers team, when they get weird and when the ground game is working as it has and when it's exploded a couple weeks, like you could compromise the Bucks because I just don't see them really able to put up more than 16, 17 points, and the Panthers' defense has been solid for the past month. Yeah, we'll talk about that later in the week. And uh, you're right, the Bucks' run defense isn't quite the same. Uh, shot, you know, credit to uh, your guy Trace McSorley. He he fought. He almost got it done. They were up ten in the fourth. He had a throw or two. He he has a big arm. I was surprised by that. Unlike that hail mary and a couple of things. JJ Watt played great. Their defense has been playing hard, uh, but it wasn't enough. What a painful season. For the Cardinals to like go through all these different ways to lose painfully in primetime, kind of like the Raiders season, but in in a different, even more pathetic way. Uh, we can talk Bucks later in the week, but uh, bef- finally, let's get to to the final game we're going to cover. That was uh, the Christmas afternoon game, Broncos and Rams in LA. Rams have three takeaways on the day, all of them interceptions. Can they get a fourth down stop on downs and cement this week 16 victory? Rippin Rams rush four. Throw goes to the right side. It's intercepted at the 15. Kobe Durant down the sideline. 50, 40, 30. All gas, no breaks. Touchdown, Kobe Durant <laughs> to cement a Christmas Day win for the Los Angeles Rams. I love it. Oh, we're getting bongos on a Monday morning. I didn't what? even know that was possible. <laughs> I do love hearing our friend J.B. Long. Uh, with KSBN 
get to hear him having fun. And man, this was fun for Rams fans and Rams announcers. Kobe Durant there, yeah, with the 85-yard interception. He had two interceptions uh, on the day of the three that Russell Wilson threw. It was crazy. It was 51 to 14 Rams. It was like 31 to six early in the second quarter. This thing was absolutely insane and I couldn't have been the only one Mark that watched this and thought oh man I don't know if they're gonna wait uh to the end of the season to fire Nathaniel Hackett now and as we're taping Justin uh we got some breaking news here let's hit it yeah the Nathaniel Hackett era is over the Broncos announced their coach uh has been fired after only 15 games sad way to go out and we can talk this game a little bit in a minute give the rams some oh that was banned we're not giving any flowers beep that out (laughs) justin uh but let's talk hackett it's over for hackett that's that's the bigger news now yeah it was inevitable and I, i think this is the kind of late season game where um you know any coach in his position this is sort of the everyone gets it the exclamation point uh floor falls out russell wilson who you came in to develop i mean kind of everything that Hackett, who, you know, understandably seems like an engaging personality and like a a likable dude. There's no, it's not really like a Mike Zimmer burning out because of your personality situation here. It's just that what was your calling card? I'm going to come in and flip the switch on Russell Wilson, the most exciting quarterback hire of the entire offseason and Denver's sort of hope and hope and pride for the future, looking like the worst quarterback in the league um, looking as lost as ever which has been um, consistent all year long there were those reports that he was calling out Seahawks uh, you know audibles at the line uh, it just seems like he's never really um, understood what's going on in this offense um, that that extends to everyone else and then the defense which you've wasted an entire year on absolutely like crumbled yesterday and I think it's just you're seeing a lot of like flare-ups on the sideline a lot of lack of accountability um, in-house issues there were all the actual game situation issues early in the year and it's like Hackett seems completely underwater and in control of none of it so what mm. as a head coach are you offering at that point um, I think there's a bit of a Peter principle for some of these play callers like you're kind of meant to stay at the play call level head coaches for a different type of personality and different type of I guess you know ability to control a varied group of individuals and the Broncos have seemed out of control since the word go yeah it gives the team a, a chance to get a head start in the rest of the league in theory if depending on who they wanted to hire if, if they wanted to go non-NFL you know they could start that process right now. It's a little more complicated if you're just trying to hire NFL assistants. They did announce George Payton, the GM, will remain with the team and lead the coaching search uh, along with ownership. There was, yeah, this, the owner, George Penner, uh, had that. And, yeah, when you when you lose like that, it felt like the defense uh, led by their coordinator, Ajiro Evero. Graver, check Check for me if we know who the interim coach is going to be while we're recording. This is all happening, but I'll continue on. It felt like this was the game where like, both sides just kind of gave up. And Sean McVay, who had Evero on his staff for a long time uh, with the Rams, he was an, you know, a defensive assistant with the Rams forever. It's like he somehow knew exactly what to do. And um, it's putting him out of their misery. And yeah, this was a Christmas game where one member related to the Walmart uh, clan dynasty, Stan Kroenke, who married into it, uh, who's the owner of the Rams, 
was going against another um, couple members of the Walmart money. And apparently they were like seen like hugging, you know, before the game or saying hi. They're they related through cousins and all this stuff. And uh, I think when you lose like that on what's probably one of the most watched games of the year, you lose to a four and 10 team, 51 to 14, the worst offense in the league like that. It, I don't care. uh who you are, how new you are to the league. That had to be so embarrassing that they were just like figuring out what the statement was going to be this morning, like during right. that game and just that it was over for Hackett. Oh, it's sad. What a, I feel what a touching it. tale. Like, um, you know, even the losing billionaire ownership team still floating away in their like cream colored Porsches before deciding to fire the coaching staff. I mean, I, I would Christmas, say this. It is, it's a tough, it's a tough business. It is, it is they get paid a lot, but uh, it is a tough business. How, how do you like honest question? Because I think like this didn't cut out the cancer for Denver at all. The cancer is the quarterback and the quarterback contract. Like I really am interested to see which coach um, thinks they can come in and fix this. They're saddled with this. And they're going to have to have immense belief that the fact that all of the, what we've seen about Russell Wilson has nothing to do with him actually just becoming a bad quarterback, that it's totally <laughs> fixable. I don't, I don't think, I think you're, you're looking well, at you a really tough situation. No one's going no to think that, that it's all on Hackett. This is the move sort of they had to make. I'm with you. We'll talk about it in the coming weeks that I, everyone's saying that you have to keep Russell Wilson, that he has all this guaranteed money, that it's going to, crush your cap mark is shaking his head and i saw him uh with a really uh well-worded tweet on uh christmas night saying that he doesn't he doesn't need that he doesn't need anyone convincing themselves it's going to work with russell wilson and i'm with you i don't think they necessarily have to do it i think there is an argument for taking all the salary cap pain now you could actually make him a post june 1st cut and it would only add 17 million dollars to get rid of him on next year's cap and i think like taking your medicine if you're convinced the dude can't play is actually the better move and in sunday's game was maybe the worst he's played all year the interceptions were just were just ghastly there was one clip someone showed on the all 22 on his third interception where sutton is on the sideline wide open for a first down and he's like literally waving at Russell Wilson, waving, waving, waving. And on the broadcast, Tony Romo points out, Oh, he could have run for 20 yards for the first time, mm-hmm. but instead Russell Wilson's like trying to be a hero and he throws it deep. And while the ball's in the air, Cortland Sutton doesn't even look to see what happens. He just starts jumping up and down, upset and turning to the sideline and walking away from the play as if he's Steph Curry uh, shooting a three and knowing it's going to go in. Except in this case, it was Russell Wilson and Cortland Sutton knew it was going to be an interception, I guess. And just like walked off the field and was so mad and it was an interception. Yeah, I think that's like to your to your point about my point about your point, about my point, about not sticking with Russell Wilson, is like, this is a, there is a human element to this. And I think it gets forgotten in all the metrics and all this business that like, this locker room is totally lost. And they're totally lost because they don't like Russell Wilson, I don't think at all. And when you're not good, and you're unliked, like you've got big problems. they don't like how bad he is more than anything. That, well, that's, that's it all, it's all mixed together, <laughs> right. but you don't get a feeling like, you know what, we're watching this guy that we've gone to war with, that we love, like, fading it's like this was your first experience with him he's been a mess the entire time and like 
I am 100% of belief that you could, it's not, you can't moneyball it like baseball, but you, to your point, take your medicine, you deal with the money part of it. It's one, a one year situation. It's not that different in a different universe had they traded for like Geno Smith instead, who would have cost a lot less on a one year situation. And you get through it, you might just get better results with a locker room that is not from the word go with a new loss, with a new coach ready to stage insurrection. The, like, the, I just, it's a problem. The only problem with it is they're keeping George Payton who made this trade. And right. so you just get into like, is he, would he be willing to admit that mistake? Usually a, a move like that. And it's hard to even say usually, cause there's almost no precedent. This, this is on track to be, you know, one of the worst trades in NFL history. It, it certainly has been now. Now their draft pick, by the way, uh, gets even worse. So Seahawks fans were loving <laughs> this Rams victory. They, I, I saw a couple on Twitter that, you know, the Seahawks are falling apart, but at least they're enjoying Russell Wilson blowing this pick. I mean, yeah, it was tough. It's why back in week 10 or 11, when the Broncos were only scoring seven, 10 points in a game and people were like, oh, the Broncos have hit bottom. And I, we've done this job long enough that it's like when there's seven or eight weeks left with these bad teams, it's like, no, there's some, you can hit a lot more bottoms. And this was Truly bottom because the coach got fired. They gave up a 50-burger on Christmas, and Russell Wilson got roasted uh, by Patrick from SpongeBob. And so what's up? Oh, there's Russell Wilson. Oh, oh no! Oh, oh, that's called the, uh, the, an interception. That's what? That's Bobby Wagner. That's not what he wanted to cook. <laughs> oh, God. Did you say interception? <laughs> he said that's what they call an interception. And no. I mean, he had a good line there, too. Uh, that's not what Russ wanted to cook. And even mentioned that Wagner was his teammate. I did flip over to the Nickelodeon broadcast for a little, and they were having fun over there. I think that was the probably the most appropriate way to watch this game. More fun than Broncos fans. I would say, like, you know, where we were, were seven weeks ago to, about mentioned where we were at the Broncos, like, Sean McVay was in a dark place. Baker Mayfield was being talked about like Russell Wilson. It's kind of crazy what can happen to you in just a couple weeks because I think if, if nothing else, Baker Mayfield proved like in a Sean McVay system, if he's used right, he can play and he's totally a viable, very leading, almost plugged in candidate to be their number two quarterback next season. I think they want that. And McVay, who was, you know, we're questioning if he's going to even come back and coach. I don't know. I mean, who knows what will happen with that situation. But the last couple of weeks have been a very different vibe around a Rams team that it got real ugly there. Absolutely. I'm glad you pointed that out because even though I'm saying like there's a long time left in the season, you can always hit bottom. You could have said that about the Rams too, uh, but they are going to feel better about themselves the way they're ending this season. They've had their best couple of games now uh, in a three-week span. They're competitive. Cam Akers is running the ball really, really well. Had 147 yards from scrimmage, three touchdowns, just playing with a lot of juice. McVay's showing that he can be that coach again, maybe give himself some confidence. Baker finishes 24 for 28 for 230 and two touchdowns. And yeah, most of them, I think 18 of those throws were five yards or less, but he had a nice touchdown versus the Blitz. He was very controlled. Tony Romo said how like under McVeigh, he's using to use his eyes a little better in terms of not being as predetermined. I saw him get to like his third read. He just looked like a very competent quarterback. To me, this was way more encouraging even than that Raiders uh, 
comeback win and like other guys are stepping up for the Rams like Wagner's a leader and Hoyt and and just things you can just feel better about putting a 50 burger on feels good no matter what your record is yeah they didn't waste their final four or five games which you see teams do nothing changes you don't grow like they've used it to develop younger players find a backup that they can trust and I think you're right give Sean McVay a sense going into the offseason like I haven't lost my fastball here and give their fans something. Uh, all my daughter had asked for for Christmas was a, a Rams win. And I know that place wasn't like super rocking yesterday. I texted our, our friend Jason Kleiman, who was there with his family. Perfect. Perfect. Um, perfect Sunday for the Kleinmans. You go see a 50 burger. Probably it's such a blowout. You can leave early. Mm-hmm. He was he told me he was right behind the Broncos sideline. So he texted me about the fight that was happening before I even heard about it on the broadcast, uh, he was like, they're arguing on the Broncos sideline. Someone just pushed Brett Rippon. And he was right. That was an offensive lineman and Brett Rippon, the backup quarterback. So he gets he gets to enjoy that victory. J.B. Long, our friend, gets to enjoy it. And then, you know, the Kleinmans come home and they celebrate Hanukkah another night, uh, you know, at night. Perfect. Day. Well, just one bullseye after the next for the <laughs> Kleinman family. All right, uh, that, this is our uh, closest thing to a bullseye here, Mark. I think we did it. The what did I call it at the beginning of the show? The the cold and dark podcast, the dark and cold podcast. <laughs> Instead, light. It sounds bad though. I had fun. I, had I fun. enjoyed it. I, you know what? I enjoyed. Uh, I think the broadcasters yesterday tried to have as much fun as they could, including Jim Nance. I I gave Jim Nance some credit for being as Jim Nancy as possible uh, to start that Rams Broncos game. Russell Wilson and the Broncos about to take the field in Los Angeles to take on Baker Mayfield and the Rams. And Santa's going to find out which quarterback has been naughty or nice on CBS. (laughs) It never gets old. I think he used the same line in 1996 and it probably, you know, hit the same way, so... I don't know why that when I heard that it really made me laugh. Santa's gotta find out who's been naughty or nice. I guess uh, Baker's been nice and Russell Wilson has been naughty. All right, for Mark, uh, this was a pleasure. For Justin Graver, uh, I'll be back. We're doing a Monday night recap tonight with Jordan Rodriguez, and we'll be back on Tuesday with a special guest. And so uh, the train keeps moving on. Uh, but until then, heed the call. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.